Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. Good morning, church family. Meridian Friends, are you loving Jesus today? three of you are. (laughs) I want to invite you to turn to the book of John. Sounds like we need it, right? I want to invite you to turn to the book of John. John chapter 15, we are continuing a series of messages on our church's core values. And I love that we got to hear from Lana as she is headed to Israel, the Lord willing, Our travel group from Meridian Friends will meet her there in six weeks, and we're counting on that and looking forward to that. We'll be in Jerusalem a few days as well, and maybe Lana can show us things the guides don't know about because she is a local. (laughs) She has lived there before, and blessings on you as you go to minister there. Lana is living out uh, so many of the core values, if you think about why she's going to Palestine to share the hope of Jesus with her neighbors. Uh, where she's going, and where she is. Our spiritual life team has identified seven simple words, core values, things that we want to live into as a church as we go to accomplish what God gives us to do in the coming years and season. We want to be faithful to these values among us. So today we come to the simple word, transformation. And I've been offering to you the longer description for each one of these words and helping us to think biblically and think scripturally about each one of these core values as well, which I think is so important. You're looking at an image of some broken pottery. This isn't just any broken pottery. It's broken pottery that's been mended by a certain technique called kintsukuri. And that means in Japanese to repair with gold. And it creates for us a beautiful visual of the idea of transformation in all of us. It proves to us that something can actually be more beautiful because it's been broken. Something can be more beautiful in the care of a craftsman because it's been damaged and hurt. Isn't that our hope with the gospel? Are there any of us who are not broken pieces, how we need the potter's hand to skillfully put us back together, and in so doing, to make something so much more beautiful than what we could ever be in and of ourselves if we had never been broken. Job, in the Old Testament, declared about his trials that after all of his trials are completed, he will come forth as gold. I want to read Uh, what we mean in offering that transformation is important to us as a church. We trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to transform each of us. That's important, by the way. We're not going to change each other. Can we just say that up front? Go ahead and turn to your neighbor. Just tell him it's not my job to change you. How's that? You accept that? Breathe a sigh of relief. It's the Holy Spirit's job 
And as we think about it today in the context of John 15, it's not our job to change ourselves either. I'll, I'll get to that. We trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to transform each of us. Knowing that each of us comes to Christ in our brokenness, the life of faith is a journey, and we encourage growth by teaching people to slow down and to be mindful of the work of the Spirit in their lives. I pray that it can be so for each one of us. I'm turning to John chapter 15 because I think in here, Jesus gives a how for us. How is that going to happen? What does that look like? How does God transform us? I want to invite you to stand with me as you're able. I'm reading from John chapter 15 and verse 1. It's all about fruitfulness, the vine and the branches. Notice how many times Jesus talks about fruit and fruitfulness, which of course, our fruitfulness is that we would bear the image of Christ in this world, that we would become more like Christ. John 15, verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Shrug your shoulders, take a deep breath. <laughs> I'm so glad. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Can I just pause there for a second? Did you hear that? Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Did you know that's where the Friends Church derived their names? John 15, verse 14. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give. This is my command, love one another. May God help us to abide in him. Amen. Please be seated.
there's a lot of emphasis on fruit. I don't know if you counted. There's a lot of references in these few words to the fact that our lives should look different because we're connected to Jesus. Do you get that out of there? There ought to be something produced that's usable, that's visible, that's helpful, that is good, something that only being connected to the vine can do for us. Our lives ought to be transformed. Our lives ought to be different. But how does that happen? Have you noticed that not everybody who goes through hard things or brokenness comes out on the other side better? Sometimes they come out just plain more bitter and not more beautiful, but more angry and less Christ-like. It's up to us to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus tells us what we need to do and what he will do as we do what we need to do in order for fruit to happen as a result. How does God transform our lives? He does that by giving us three incredible gifts. Here he describes how he gives us a new identity, how he gives us a new role that might be surprising to us, how he gives us a new relationship that we so desperately need. I want to start with identity, and I want you to notice what he says in verse 3. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. This may surprise you. What do you mean we're already clean? Do we clean up our act before we come to Jesus? <laughs> Probably not. We're already clean. Isn't it true in the Christian life, we live in the already and the not yet? I want to suggest to you what Jesus is saying. You are a branch of mine. He's speaking to our identity. And if I can think of it in terms of branches, I'm going to say that we're still growing, but we're already clean. You and I still have a ways to go. We still have brokenness that's being put back together. We're still in process, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> and, and for us, I think the journey is the destination. We need to keep growing. We need to keep moving forward. If as a church, we want to have something like a family fun night, and we want to invite people to come and to join us and to be part of who we are, and our message to them is, in Christ you can change, in Christ there's hope, we better be changing too. Because if we think we've already arrived, that attitude is going to come across really strongly to those around us, don't you think? Which one of us doesn't have more room to grow because of our connection with Jesus? We're still growing. Our identity is that of a branch. We've all come to Christ as broken sinners. By the blood of Jesus, something more precious than gold, we've been connected to a life source giving us a new identity. That's who you are. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. He's inviting us to think of ourselves perhaps a little differently, not as individuals so much as those who are dependent upon the life of Christ, grafted in, clean, even fruitful and useful. What is the fruit that's discussed in John? Well, Galatians helps us understand that. You knew I would talk about that, right? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Paul helps us out. 
It's nine things. It's things like love. Our lives ought to demonstrate love. What does fruit look like in your life from abiding with Christ? It ought to show up as love. And Jesus emphasizes it over and over. My command is that you love. It ought to be joy, peace, forbearance, or patience. It ought to be kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And, and Paul adds about all of those descriptions of what our life ought to look like in Jesus, this transformation that he wants to do in all of us. He says, this isn't something that you can get from just studying the law, something external. There's no law against such things. And this goes back to what Jesus said, that we're a branch, that it's something internal that's flowing through us, not something that's external that's out there. You can't get it by simply just trying harder. It, it goes back to our identity in Christ. How about 2 Corinthians 1? <laughs> now you're going to want to look at your neighbor and wonder. Did you know the Bible calls you a saint? The person that you said it's not your job to change? You know, it sounds really holy to say, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I understand what you mean when you say that. I am a sinner saved by grace. But when you compare that to what the Bible says about someone who's already in Christ, it actually doesn't fit very well. <laughs> what if you are a saint who sometimes sins? Am I just playing with words? I don't think so. Because I think a lot of people are trying to, in their best efforts, duplicate the sinless life of Jesus, and they're wondering why that can't happen very well. Instead of understanding that Jesus, who lived a sinless life, is living inside of us. You see the difference? 164 times in the New Testament, the phrase is used, in Christ. It's used everywhere in the New Testament. It's, it's a huge part of who we've become because of Christ speaking over us and saying, you are already clean. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Now something is different about you fundamentally from the inside out. Your identity has changed. Again, I know it sounds all humble to say, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. It sounds so arrogant to say, I'm a saint. Isn't it interesting that call Paul, call Paul, <laughs> that Paul called these people in Corinth saints? Have you read the letters to Corinthians? These were messed up people. <laughs> but they're living in the already, and they're living in the not yet. They're still broken. They're still called to transformation. But the reality is they're already in Christ. I think the difference is how we approach transformation. Is it a matter of just willpower and trying harder? Or is it something else? Well, of course, I'm going to suggest that it's something else. Jesus not only gives us a new identity, he gives us a different role. And this might surprise you. He says, I am the true vine, and my father has a role, the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears fruit. And you have a role. Remain in me. I will remain in you because no branch can bear fruit by itself. What is your new role? You're a branch. And what do branches need more than anything else? Connection. <laughs> I have a branch in front of me. Have you noticed? 
There's a branch at the altar today. My friend Frank willingly cut it off of his vine. Thank you. He pointed out that there's a couple of grapes that are withered and brown in the back. There's always some of that in our life, isn't there? We'd rather display the fruitful part <laughs> for everybody else to see of what is out there. But the thing about this branch is that it's not going to look as good in a couple of hours. It's going to look even worse in a couple of days. Am I right? These grapes, which are too small. Frank did give me some good grapes, by the way. And, and it made me think that I could preach long because I have a snack up here. And they're pretty good. These grapes are ready, I can tell you. If you want to pick one of these and eat it after the service, you're welcome. I wouldn't recommend it. Those fruits, they're never going to develop, right? They're as good as dead. When we separate as a branch, when we lose our connection from the life source, we might look good for a while, but we're really not. We might look good in terms of appearance for a while, but on the inside, something has changed. I love this idea of just being a branch. It's, it is one of those shoulder shruggers for me. I don't have to give myself life. We try, don't we? We feel the need for life. We feel the emptiness. We pursue life in a lot of million directions all the time. We're so busy. And we sometimes forget that the most important thing for us as branches is simply to stay connected. Look, do saints still sin in your experience? <laughs> do they? I mean, theoretically, I'm sure it's possible that they don't have to. But why do they? I want to give you something very simple to write down. Why do we still sin? Do you still struggle with sin? It's as simple as this. We sin whenever we stop abiding in Jesus. We have victory over sin available to us in Christ. We have a life source that's so much bigger than the challenges. Romans 6, 6, our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. We should no longer be slaves to sin. Do you agree? Is it possible? Do saints still sin? You don't have to look at anybody now. Remember, it's not your job to change them. But that's our experience. And I think Jesus is explaining to us what we can and need to do about that. What if it was as simple as we need to abide in? In Jesus. One of the hardest things to do, I think, as Christians and as a church, is to make sure that the main thing remains the main thing. <laughs> it's so hard to do. And that is the main thing, isn't it? The main thing is to make sure that the main thing is the main thing. And the main thing is abiding in Jesus. It's loving God. It's loving people. It's letting him change us by simply staying connected to him. 
We don't even need to do the gardening. <laughs> the Father will do that. Sometimes it's very painful. But why does he do that? He does that so that we can be even more fruitful. Change is hard. But he does that for a purpose. It, it's about fruit. It's about the church, you and I. And by the way, the next time you think that the person next to you is a fruit or a nut, just remember they're really a branch. Just hold that in mind. As a church, we're called simply to be branches. And the only way that we're going to bear fruit is to stay connected. You know, it's a lot of effort to try to keep up fronts and to try to look good in our own strength and our own power when we are disconnected from our life source. Would you agree? That's a lot of effort. It's a lot of strain. It's a lot of difficulty. No matter how disciplined you are as a person, no matter how strong willpower you have, and, and frankly, some people have more discipline than others, I think, naturally, don't they? They have more strength that way than others. And, and, and it's almost a detriment because I think what Jesus is talking about is, is he's not talking about looking good. He's talking about being good. He's talking about God's life actually working through us and producing what he calls fruit that lasts, not fruit that looks good. It's a challenge for us. But that's a lot of hard work. And let me tell you this too. Staying connected with Jesus, that's, that's effort as well. Could I say that? Why do some become more bitter and less like Christ after brokenness and through the trials and temptations of the world? Why? I'm suggesting it's a lack of abiding in Jesus because Jesus seems to say, I'm going to make you fruitful. If you just stay connected, it seems like a promise, doesn't it? I'm going to take care of this. What's going to show up on the outside is what's really going on on the inside. It's always where Jesus pointed us. So pay attention to your soul. Pay attention to your heart. But relationships take work. Even the best relationships take work. They take effort. They take time. They take communication. That means it's not your job to change the person next to you. Just remember that. But in order to have a healthy relationship, we really need to be intentional and we really need to work on it. We're branches needing connection. It makes me think of Proverbs 24. And it's, um, so many of the Proverbs talk about sluggards. Don't you love that? There's so many sins that we might confess in life, you know. You never hear anybody say, well, I'm a sluggard. It's a hard one to identify, am I right? I'm just lazy. I just have a hard time doing the right things. Proverbs 24, I went past the field of sluggo, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed, and I learned from what I saw. You know, in the ancient Near East, owning a vineyard was like an incredible blessing. And I think this has so much to say to us about the stewardship of our soul. We have one life, one shot on this planet. And the most important thing is to be connected to Jesus. And we take that for granted. And did you know that relationships fade, relationships die, 
or simple lack of maintenance? What was wrong with this vineyard? It was neglect. I mean, did somebody come and ransack it or break it or, or put it out? No. It, it was just neglect. It was nothing. That was the problem. Nothing was being done to tend to this vineyard. You have a vineyard of relationships with each other, maybe with your kids or a spouse, relationships with a neighbor, relationships with your small group or your church family, and those take work. Those take effort. Those take time. Those take energy. Those take resource. If we just sit back and don't pay attention to the priority things of our soul, that's what our soul will look like. Now I'm saying I can't look into your soul today and tell you how healthy it is. You can't do that for me either. What would it look like if it were a thriving plant? It's interesting because those leaves are starting to curl since Frank brought those in. But what, what does your garden, the garden of your soul look like if it were on display? If everybody could see it? Are there thorns growing everywhere? Are you spending time alone with Jesus? Are you diving into his word? Are you stretching? Are you learning? growing? Are you serving with all of your heart? Are you giving? Are you sacrificing? Staying connected to Jesus, it's a relationship. Our role in it is to stay connected. Okay, we have a new relationship. Here's what it is. We have a new relationship with Jesus. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. Jesus says also in this passage that we read that my joy will be in you. Don't you love that? This idea of a relationship of joy. In some ways, the church is more comfortable with just the idea that it's a relationship of servanthood, and I'm a worm, (laughs) right? Because that sounds really humble to say I'm a worm. Instead of what Jesus said, I'm calling you friends. That's interesting, isn't it? It seems to me that Jesus is inviting us to a relationship of joy. Lana read a quote from... Elliot, Jim Elliot's wife. Elizabeth Elliot, right? Did, do you know if she wrote this after she was widowed or before? Okay. Jim Elliot, if you don't know, died on the mission field. But his wife, who obviously became better over the years <laughs> through adversity, wrote that if I'm to do it for him, if, if I'm to give my whole life for him, it will be in joy. Do you love that? Do you, do you see Lana's passion to go give her life away? I do. And, and I think, I think that that's what the Christian life ought to look like. Not some strange, I gotta, I gotta keep all the rules as the primary focus. Against such things, there, there is no law. But instead, it ought to be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and, 
and gentleness. It, it, it ought to be, and self-control, it ought to be all of those things coming naturally out of what's on the inside, pouring forth in fruitfulness. Will people know what's in your soul? Yeah, they will if they get to know you at all. It, it particularly shows up when we're under stress. Am I right? <laughs> That's when we really find out what, whether the connection's really good right now <laughs> or whether it isn't. Do we demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit? Our old motives used to be to try to be good enough, to try to live up to the requirements of the law or by our willpower, just to try harder, won't you? You know, the thing about branches is, branches don't produce fruit. All that they do is stay connected. And fruit happens naturally. This is a call to ask, how connected are we in our spiritual lives? And as a church family, how connected are we to our source of life? It's a better way to live, isn't it? It's a better way to live from the inside out. My favorite illustration, and I want to read this as a way to move into some time of reflection, is written by James Bryan Smith. He has a beautiful set of books called The Good and Beautiful Life. And in this book, he writes about the difference between country dogs and city dogs. And I'm going to leave you with this and then just leave you in some silence to process and to pray. He writes, Do you know the difference between country dogs and city dogs? Country dogs live in wide open spaces with a great deal of freedom to roam. They can go down to the creek. They can wrestle with a skunk, sleep in a sunny pasture or forage for food. And at first they do. But after a while, the country dog stays in the same old place. Day after day, he abides on the master's porch. The country dog has been to Paris, as they say. He's gotten into a few scrapes and has seen the open range for what it is. Now the country dog is content to stay near the master. After all, he may get a biscuit or a pat on the head or a belly rub. The city dog is very different. The city dog lives cooped up in a house and is forbidden to leave the home. The city dog has one aim, getting out. The city dog has learned when and how the doors will be opened and how to nudge it just so in the hope of escape. The moment the door is cracked open, the city dog makes a run for it. The master may have to run after the dog or even get in the car and search the neighborhood for the fugitive, constantly yelling the dog's name, begging it to come home. If the master sees the dog, he or she will likely have to bribe the dog with a biscuit or lasso the dog with a leash in order to get it home. I think the rest is self-evident, but I'm going to read what he said about it. The experience of the Christian life is not intended to be a cramped environment where our hearts long for an escape from the rules. Instead, we know that we are no longer under the law. As a matter of fact, we can sin, though not meant to sin. 
But having sinned before, our hearts understand the difference between abiding and wandering. And we know better. And we are content to remain on the master's porch.